All right. So, anybody ever go on a trip, like ever, go somewhere overnight or for a week or two weeks or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you can go for a year or more, right? So, how do you get ready? What do you, what do you pack? What do you take? Whatever gets put in the bag for you. Yeah, not everybody has that luxury to have somebody pack for them. But it's tough to figure out if you got everything, right? You make a list or you do whatever you can. And, and no matter what happens, you're going to forget something, right? And if you're a good old Appalachian, West Virginian, you just hope there's a Walmart's close so you can get what you forgot, right? Right. Thank God for Sam Walton. So, are you a heavy packer? Light packer? Let's poll the audience. Who's a heavy packer? Me? I'm a pretty heavy packer. Light packer? Okay. I think I pack enough underwear for like six weeks. If I, I don't know why. It's just like, well, I better put them. Yeah, there's some more. I'll, they're in the drawer. I'll put them in. I don't know. I don't get it. Huh? Both pair. I take both pair It's uh, that I have. But it is, it's hard to figure out what to take and what not to take. Depends on where you're going, who you're going to be with, what you're going to be doing. Of course, you've got to take your money. And back in the day, they used to have traveler's checks. Anybody ever use traveler's checks? Yeah. Well, American Express traveler's checks. Don't leave home without them. You know, that's, some of y'all don't know nothing about that. But who was that? Was that Ed Asner? Who was in that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So anyway, packing. Trips, going on a trip. Today, we're going to see the front end of the disciples going out on a trip. And Jesus tells them what to take, what to pack, what to do. And it's quite interesting. And I think it's interesting as well how that applies to us today. We are in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read verses 5 to 15 this morning. And again, this is the second major discourse of Matthew's gospel. Um, And Jesus is addressing his 12 disciples who are at this point becoming apostles because they're being sent out. So if you would please stand with us as we read the Bible together as we give attention to the public reading of the Word of God as the Scripture commands us to do. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Let's pray. Jesus, I am more and more convinced that there's no wiggle room 
you're not playing a game. You're not giving us mild suggestions. You speak with authority and we are to comply out of love given the power to do that by your Holy Spirit. Now God, teach us and instruct us by that same Spirit so that we might hear, so that we might do, so that you might get glory in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So last week... We, we worked through the list of the 12 disciples that Jesus had called to Himself in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And so today we're actually seeing the beginning of, of His instructions for what they were to do. So verse 5, These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them... Actually, we'll do 5 and 6 here, I'm sorry. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the twelve obviously refers to who we talked about already, the disciples, the twelve men that we focused on last week in verses 2 through 4. These twelve had been Jesus' disciples and had been to this point His focus in His earthly ministry. And we see why He was focused on them here as their apostleship begins as He sends them out. The word for sent out is apostello, and it means to dispatch. It actually means to order to go to an appointed place. So, as they're sent out, they are sent out with a particular place in mind. The apostles were apostelloed. And who was sending them? Of course, Jesus sent them out. And He was sending them out with His authority, His power, His abilities. And he didn't send them cold, okay? It says, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. So it wasn't just like, okay, guys, go on. Good luck. Meet back here in six weeks. It's nothing like that. He's giving them specific instructions. And that word, instructing, is a lot like the word apostello in that it means to command. Instructing means to command, to order, to charge and to transmit a message along from one to another. He's from him to them, he's telling them specifically what they are to do. He's giving them their mission and their message here. And look what he says first. First he tells them where not to go. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Now I've got a map here. Yeah, that translates pretty well. So that yellow section up there is Galilee. You can't really read that, but that's where they're at. The little dot there on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum, which is probably where they are. And Jesus is saying, don't go anywhere among the Gentiles or anywhere among the Samaritans. So if you go to the east, well, that's Gentile country. If you go southeast, well, that's Gentile country. If you go south, well, that's Samaria. So that's, and then you go west, you're in the sea. So he didn't tell them not to go in the sea, but I think they kind of understood that. So he's kind of just confining them to that little yellow landmass there, which is the region of Galilee. Now, pretty much hymns them in. Uh, It confines them to that region. And here's the deal they would probably, having been from that area, most of them, 
they would probably be familiar with the towns and villages in Galilee. And they'd probably be familiar with the people in these towns and villages. So that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And then to make sure that this was true, he tells him in verse 6, not only don't go to these places, but rather, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. These Jewish men would probably have been very familiar with the Jewish towns, villages, synagogues, and people of the Galilean region. So there may have been some comfort to that command. Just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But my question is why? I mean, aren't we shooting for the world? Haven't we said all through Matthew that God's plan included the whole world? When He blessed Abraham, when He made the covenant with Abraham, He said, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. So Jesus sends His men out and He says, don't go to any Gentiles. Just go to the Jews. So all through Matthew 1-10, through Jesus' plan was seemingly to reach the whole world. So then... Why send out these mighty apostles, you're right, with your authority and your kingdom message, but limit them to little, a little podunk area of Palestine with a very strict ethnic limitation? I mean, come on, Jesus, we want the world to impact the ends of the earth until the end of time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we'll have the world. We'll have every nation, tribe, and tongue, but not yet. Not here. Now let me tell those of you who are young, who are just beginning to read your Bibles and such, be careful, careful, careful that you fit what you're reading into the proper context. In the Bible, context rules. Somebody could take this passage and say, well, we're not supposed to reach anybody that's not a Jewish person. And they'll go out with that message. And they'll preach. And that sounds silly, but things like that happen. People take something out of the context and they make a doctrine out of it. And they pattern their lives after it. And they tell other people they're supposed to pattern their lives after it. We will get to the point. We'll get to Matthew 28 where Jesus says, Go therefore make disciples of all nations. But at this point, God, listen to me, God has a plan. And God's plan... God's way is perfect. And if you read your Bibles long enough, you will see clearly that God works through processes. God works through very meticulous measures which were foreordained before the foundations of the world. And part of God's very particular plan, in that plan, Jesus' earthly life was focused almost entirely on Jewish people. You're like, what? It's true. It's true. Now he certainly comes into contact with Gentiles. He heals some of them. He teaches some of them. And he walks and lives among them. But in his earthly life, Jesus' focus in the flesh was to reveal himself as the Jewish Messiah. That Messiah who had been promised throughout the Jewish Scriptures for all these years. Let me jump ahead in a few chapters into Matthew and I want to show you something that Jesus says about Himself. It's Matthew 15. And a Canaanite woman, which means a non-Jew, a Canaanite woman, was begging Jesus to deliver her demon-oppressed daughter. She's saying, please, please, my daughter's 
possessed by a demon and, and, and I know that you can deliver her. Will you do it? And this is how Jesus answers her. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. A Jewish Messiah. This Gentile pagan woman knew nothing of a Jewish Messiah. She just knew that Jesus could deliver her daughter because she'd seen him do stuff like that. Now the lady persists and she shows great humility. You need to read that passage. We'll be there in about six, eight months maybe. And Jesus grants her request. But why would Jesus say that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Because in his earthly life, he was. In his earthly ministry, that's who he focused on. It would be his death on the cross that would tear the veil in the temple from top to bottom and abolish the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, between humans and God. It would be the gospel that he revealed finally and fully to Paul when Paul was sent to the Gentiles that would engulf the whole world. But while Jesus was on earth during his years of life and ministry, he was focused on the Jewish people. That was God's plan. The Jews had to reject their Messiah. It had to happen. The Old Testament had said that. The Jews had to miss their day of visitation so that God would then unleash His gospel to the whole world. So, while Jesus is here, while He's on the earth and He is commissioning His men, He sends them only to Jewish people in a very small region where Jewishness was common. And there were limitations of time here too. Jesus was on a schedule. Okay, He had to have them back pretty quickly So the training and the mission would continue. So verse 7. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here Jesus gives them their message. Now He doesn't give them a three-point outline. He doesn't give them manuscripts to read and to study and to memorize. He gives them a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven-word message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? What had John been proclaiming when John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In John four, uh, in Matthew 4, when we see Jesus going out and starting His ministry, He starts preaching what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, Jesus' message was to be their message. So he tells them to proclaim as they go. We saw last week that word proclaim means to herald or to announce with an authority that must be listened to. Now listen, this is a big part of this message in my mind. They are not just making nice life-improving suggestions. No, listen to me. They are commanding people to hear. They are commanding people to know and to understand and to work into their lives that the king of all kings and his kingdom are at hand. The king is here. The kingdom is available and open to those who will come. As a matter of fact, it's not an invitation. It is a command. And it still is. It's not an invitation. And here in our day and time, we've turned Christ's command into a plea, a weepy desire for people to accept Jesus. You will not find that in Scripture. 
You need to accept Christ as your Savior. Like he's in a list of potential candidates. You're like, Jesus looks pretty good. I think I'll pick him. That's not the message that they're proclaiming, and it's not the message we're supposed to proclaim. Or let Jesus into your heart. Or to listen as softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. There's a line in that song that says, See on the portals, He's waiting and watching. He's watching for you and for me. And I see a picture of that mamby-pamby American Jesus wringing His hands. Oh, I hope they picked me. Oh, Like he's last on the playground to be picked. No. This kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming and that he's commanding his apostles to proclaim is not a hope y'all can make it kind of kingdom. It's comply or be justly punished if you don't. Paul would say it this way as he addressed the men of Athens in Acts 17 verses 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Paul is saying judgment is coming. And judgment is centered around who repented and who didn't. So this message of the kingdom that Jesus sent His men out with is authoritative and forceful, not sheepishly begging and speaking to the wants and desires of its hearers. Proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's quite a message. And why should anybody listen to these fishermen, these tax collectors, these other outcasts? We saw last week that they literally had zero credentials. No reason that would make man or God notice them. Well, the good news is they're not just going out preaching that seven-word sermon. They're going to be doing some stuff too. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. So Jesus had spent all His time that we looked at in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew showing His power, affirming His Messiahship by working miracles, healing, delivering, commanding nature, so forth and so on. His words, although authoritative and binding on everyone who heard them, were not all that God used to show who Jesus was. God used signs and wonders to verify and to authenticate Jesus' words. Jesus was talk and action. So he knew that the same would have to be true for his men. They would have to show that their words were not just words and that their words were not just their words. They had to make sure everyone knew that their words were God's words. So they too were to work validating miracles which showcased Jesus' authority through them. And look at what they were to do. Look at that list. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. Um... Okay, <laughs> that's, well, that's exactly what Jesus has been doing, right? And He's telling them to do what He's been doing, to be like He's been, to say what He's been saying and not to hold back at all in it. Now can you imagine these 12 men hearing these words? 
Jesus is saying, okay, guys, it's time to go. I'm sending you out. Here's the message. And I, you will, you're going to, you're commanded to heal sick people, raise dead people, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You figure they had some hesitation? as they went out and approached their first opportunity to heal or to resurrect or to cast out a demon, you figured they were going, oh, oh well, I hope this works. I figured they had to have. I hope this works. I hope this sick person does get well. I hope this dead person does come back to life or we're going to look stupid. I hope this leper is cleansed because if he's not, I'm going to get it. I hope this demon comes out and leaves me alone. Can you imagine? I can't. I can't. Now remember, they're going out with the very authority of Jesus. His command for them is to do what He's been doing. As His apostles, those sent from Him with His power, with His word, these men were to speak and act for Him in His place. And after being with Him for these months, maybe a year even, they knew what He could do. He had literally scared them stiff out on the sea, remember? Megas Phobos. They were greatly afraid when he spoke to the winds and the waves. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. And then he says, now you go do the same stuff. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm not even a good fisherman, Jesus. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) But now it was their turn. And then the verse takes a little turn here. Look at the next sentence of verse 8. You received without paying, give without pay. Now why is that here? I mean, come on. If, if you could heal sick people, if you could raise dead people, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you think you might be a little bit tempted to capitalize on that for yourself? Yeah, man, get you a white suit and one of them power jackets that knocks people down. I need me one of them. I don't need me one of them. I'm sure they'd have been tempted to say, yeah, I see your daughter's got a demon there. A couple minas, a few coins, I could probably help you out. They'd have bound to, Jesus, Satan would have tempted them that way, I'm sure. So Jesus makes it very clear. This is not for your self-aggrandizement. This is not a self-rewarding mission. Quite the opposite, as we see as we'll work through the rest of chapter 10 later. They didn't pay a penny to receive these abilities or this authority. Jesus is gifting it to them. They didn't earn or deserve it. And they are to use it, they are to give it, just like they received it. Heal, raise, cleanse, and cast out for free. But that's not the only financial word they're going to get. You talk about utter foolishness. Look at verses 9 and 10. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So so they're not going to charge for their work. They're not going to get paid. Well, who's going to support this trip? I mean, we've got to raise funds if we're going to go on a missionary journey, right? Well, Jesus says for them to acquire no gold or silver or copper for their belts. Now, what's that mean? He's telling them not to take any money. They dealt in coins then. 
and their coins were made of gold, silver, and copper. Jesus says, don't take any of those. Why belts? Because they would tuck their money pouch in their belt. He says, don't take any money. (laughs) Don't take any money. (laughs) Traveler's checks? No, don't take that. (laughs) Don't leave home without them, Jesus. The commercials. No. Go out, preach, perform miracles, don't charge for it, and oh, by the way, don't take any money. Don't take any money. I keep saying that because I'm going, what? Tell you what, guys, take a trip to Disneyland and don't take any money. (laughs) Or a card. Or your Apple Pay. Contact us. Don't take anything. See how much fun that's going to (laughs) be. Don't take any money. Are you joking? Nope, I'm not joking. That's not just money. We talk about light packers, heavy packers, Green Bay packers. No bag for your journey. Don't take an extra tunic, no extra sandals. We've got a shoe bag we take on trips, and it's usually full to overflowing. Everybody's got three or four pairs of shoes. I mean, your Crocs have to match your shirt, right? That's not funny. It's a little funny. But he tells them, don't take anything extra. No bag, not a spare tunic, no extra sandals, not even a staff. Don't take anything extra. Take what you've got on you, and more importantly, what you've got in you. I don't know about you, but my two main concerns when I'm packing are finances and stuff. And Jesus says, don't deal with that at all. Don't worry about your financials. Don't worry about your extra pair of shoes or your extra tunic. Don't take anything. Just go. Why? For, he says, the laborer deserves his food. Well, okay. I know, so then maybe I should take some if I'm worthy of it, right? No. They were not to charge for their labors, but Jesus is saying they would be provided for by God through the people they came into contact with. Jesus is saying they're not to charge people for what they're doing, but they are to trust God to work in and through the people that they minister to in order to take care of them. They were working for God. God was working through them, and so God would take care of their provision. What about the Israelites? Forty years in the desert. Their sandals never wore out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Can, Can God take care of His people or not? Be careful how you answer that question. Don't charge, trust God. Don't take money or bags or tunics or sandals or staffs. For for the laborer, God's laborer, deserves his food. When working for God, God declares that you deserve to eat. God will provide for and supply the needs of those working for Him. He says they deserve it. God says they deserve it. Now that says something, doesn't it? So Jesus says, don't sweat taking stuff, for God sees your needs and has proclaimed that you deserve to be taken care of. Wow. (laughs) But God wasn't going to shower coins from heaven to take care of them. No, God, listen to me. God works through a process we said earlier. God also works through people. 
Which people though? Jesus tells them how they can know, verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. He tells them that whenever they go into a town or a village, find out who is worthy in that town or village. Well, how does that work? The task of finding out who is worthy is them literally, by the definition of it, finding out, scouring, inquiring who is worthy in that town to stay with. It's not like, you know, like a, a cross was hanging over their, their magic cross. Oh, there's the magic cross. This is who we're supposed to stay with. They're supposed to inquire. They're supposed to scour. They're supposed to search out who they're supposed to stay with. And I would figure that they were to lead with the message that the kingdom of the heavens is at hand and people would equate that with Jesus because Jesus had preached the same thing. And so if they're leading with that, somebody is going to say, I heard Jesus talking about that. Or somebody told me they heard Jesus talking about that. Jesus' works and Jesus' teachings had made Him well known. And that would have spread his message too. So in inquiring who was worthy for them to stay with, they would seek out and scour the area for those who were familiar with, for those who were hungry for the message of Jesus in the kingdom of the heavens. And these people would be sprinkled throughout the region and they would be hungry for more of Jesus' message and work. So his apostles, speaking as if Jesus were speaking himself through them, would seek out these people. These people would take care of the apostles prepared beforehand by God Himself because God said, these men deserve to eat. So I'll use my people to feed them. That's what makes them worthy. They were prepared beforehand by God to take care of His apostles. And when they found these worthy folk, the apostles were to stay with them until they departed from that town or village. Now imagine, again, they blow into town. Nobody knows them. Who are these stinky fishermen? They smell like sardines. They look funny. They can't talk very well. And nobody wants to take them in, but they find the worthy house. Then they start healing people. Then they start working miracles. They're raising dead people and casting out demons. All of a sudden, more and more people get interested. Hey, you can come stay with me. Come on, stay at my house. I've got a pool. And the disciples are like, it's a pool. I mean, Jesus says, no, no. You stay with the same people from the time you come into the town until the time you leave. Don't run to a nicer home, a little bigger bank account. Jesus said, find a worthy home and stay there. Don't bounce around. Don't sell yourself to the highest bidder or the most interested flavor of the day. Stay with the worthy ones the whole time you're there. And then once you find that worthy house, verses 12 and 13, as you enter the house, greet it. What's up, house? That's not what's And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. So when you find a worthy house to enter into, as you enter the house, greet it. Now, how did Jewish people greet each other? Shalom. Peace or peace be with you. Hence the greeting leading to the call to, if the house is worthy, to let their peace come upon it. And when somebody said shalom, they weren't just saying, hey. They were, it was like they were giving something tangible to somebody else. I'm giving you peace. I'm asking peace for you. I'm giving you the peace that I feel and that I know in the Lord. So it was a tangible thing. Let your peace come upon the house and the people who live in it. But if the house is not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
So it was like you were giving them a tangible thing, not just words. So if you gave a greeting of peace and you go and you find the house is not worthy, I'm taking my peace back and I'm leaving. That'd be quite a proclamation, wouldn't it? So Peter and Andrew are in a house. Andrew's like, Peter, this is not the right house. These guys ain't it. Yeah, I know. We're going to have to take our peace back. Let's do it. We've got to get out of here. Taking our peace back and we're leaving. You ready? Peace out, right? <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> I could. I was... Let the peace you shared with them return to you. Take it back. You see, not everybody was going to agree with or comply with things as they progressed. Wait till we get into next week's message. This is not a fun time. This is not, woohoo, we're going on a short-term missions trip. We're, we're just basically doing nothing. It's going to get rough for them. A little preview next week. He says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Oh, <laughs> oh. So they were going to have to be discerning and if they needed to take their peace back, they needed to take their peace back and they needed to leave. And these guys weren't going to be perfect judges of character or intentions. They're just not. So there were provisions that if they missed it or if others disobeyed and missed their message, 14. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Now, keep in mind that this heralding of the kingdom of the heavens was not a call to come and party in things that make men happy. It was a command to obey the king of the universe. Now there's joy in that. I don't want to bypass that. That's, there's greater joy than I shall not want. I mean, there's, this is good stuff. But it's not, hey, come and have a good time with Jesus. So there's a lot at stake as to whether or not folks comply with this message or not. And Jesus makes it clear that there are dire consequences. Listen to me. There are dire consequences for those who do not listen to or obey the commands of this kingdom and its king. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. So this is applicable to houses or entire towns. There were going to be towns where they weren't welcome. If a house or town won't receive or listen to their words, which means the message of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if they won't receive that, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. That was a common Jewish practice, the shaking off of the dust. Because they would literally shake the dust off their tunics, off their heads, off their arms, off, off their feet, if they had been in a pagan land and were entering back into the promised land if they were going up to Jerusalem for feasts and festivals and they were climbing that hill, they were shaking off dust as they go because we can't bring the pagan dust into the Holy Land. And they did that all the time. Heavens to Murgatroyd, they might have come in contact with Samaritans. We've got to shake that dust off. Shake it off. Don't bring that dust into the land of the holy people of God. The land and the people were too precious to be polluted. So here, Jesus says that anyone who doesn't listen to them and their message is to be left behind, down to the tiniest particle of dust from their home or town. Leave it behind. Forsake it. Forget it. Don't let it be in or on any part of your life. Now, listen to that. Get down to the very minute particles of dust because I don't want any part of that on you. Why? Because it turns out bad for these people. 
And you don't want to be a part of that last verse. And it's heavy. This is heavy. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Yikes. Yeah, don't carry their dust around because some bad things are coming their way. Jesus leads this verse with truly I say to you to start this statement. The Greek is amen lego. Yea, verily, for sure. It's a way of saying you can count on this. No exceptions, no way out of it. And it's bad. If a person, a house, or a town will not listen to the words of the apostles, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now just in case you don't know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham back in the Old Testament couldn't find ten righteous people between both towns, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not one town, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. He couldn't find ten righteous people between the two towns. And God destroyed both cities, raining sulfur and fire upon them. Now again, this is not a story. It's not an allegory, but rather a historical account of God's judgment on two towns that forsook Him and lived in perpetual, pervasive sin. Now here, Jesus says that if people, houses, or towns do not receive the words of the apostles about the kingdom of heaven, the judgment that comes on them in the day of judgment will be worse than that which came down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now let me ask you a question. What's worse than sulfur and fire raining down and destroying two cities? Sounds like a terrible judgment, doesn't it? Kind of hellish Right? Reject the command to repent and live within the message and the principles of the kingdom of heaven and a judgment worse than total destruction is in your future. A judgment worse than total destruction is in your future. A lot of people are turning the doctrine of hell into total destruction. It's something worse than total destruction. Remember Jesus began this sentence with truly, Amen, I say to you. There's no denying this. There's no way around it. This message that the apostles are carrying brings with it a clear choice to receive it or to reject it. Receiving it brings peace, shalom, and rejecting it brings severe judgment. And knowing this would surely have given these 12 guys an urgency and a desire to be discerning and to be resolute. And this is just the first section of this chapter. More to come in the following weeks. But for today, we have to turn our attention to applying what we've seen in verses 5 to 15. Longer passage, so we've got four application points. Okay, let me just give you a warning. It's not just three. We've got four. Four Ps. Plan, power, provision, and preparation. Plan, power, provision, and preparation. Now you can see that in what we just read, right? Plan, power, provision, and preparation. Plan first. Application point one, plan. Listen to me. God is working all things according to His plan. We saw today that Jesus sent His apostles just within Galilee and just to the Jewish people there. Again, there will come a time 
in God's plan in our study of Matthew when we get to the Great Commission where Jesus will send these same men, minus Judas, to all nations to make disciples all over the world. But that time is not Matthew 10. So for now, Jesus limits their scope and reach and tells them to be faithful with what they have been given to do, which really is a lot if you think about it. So the application for us, listen to me, all of us, everybody that believes in Jesus here this morning, be faithful with what you have been given to do. Now. Be faithful with what you've been given to do right now. Moms, I'd say this is especially true for you. You're not a second-class kingdom citizen if you're just taking care of the kids. Heavens, no. There's nothing more frontline than forming hearts and minds like nobody else in the world ever could or would. Well, I'd had to give up my ministry so I could be a parent. Oh my gosh, no. No. Please, no. For other people, you may feel like you're trapped in a dead-end job. Maybe you've got no room for advancement or self-betterment. Listen to me. Pour your life into the people around you. Pour your life into the job that you're doing. You want to hear some of the most radical application that the Bible has to offer? Ephesians 6, 5-8. through Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Now that's radical. That's radical. That's crazy talk. What do I mean mean by that? Don't roll your eyes and feel like I tricked you. You thought I was going to send you to Ethiopia, didn't you? No, no. Nothing wrong with Ethiopia. God sends you to Ethiopia, that's fine. But Paul says in this passage that if you're a servant, or in our case, an employee, one of the most radical things you can do is obey your boss with a sincere heart. (laughs) And then in verse 6, he says that in doing so, you are doing the will of God from the heart. And then he says that God will reward that action by giving back to the one who performed it. You may feel like you don't measure up to those who have abandoned their comforts and are living amongst an illiterate tribe somewhere on an island that you can't pronounce. But God's plan is for each of His people to do what is put in front of them in obedience to Him, glorifying Him with their sincere service. So the application point is don't despise the plan of God. Embrace it and do your part in it. Maybe something bigger comes later. Maybe it doesn't. Jesus said if you're faithful in little things, you will be given big things. But you know what? In God's sight, it's really all little things. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's not giving us anything that He can't do. Don't despise the plan of God. When they were rebuilding the temple, we looked at that back in Ezra, right? Said, don't, the, the, the prophet came and said, don't despise the day of small things. That's the application for us. 
Whether something bigger comes later or not, that's not yours to worry about. You worry about God's plan now and work with Him in the midst of it. That's plan. Power is the second point. The even better news that God has a plan is that God will empower you to do whatever it is that He has called you to do. God sends out workers into His field with power to do what He's called them to do. In the case of the apostles, they were granted power to heal, cleanse, raise, deliver, and preach. Guess what? Whatever God's plan is for you in your life, He will empower you to carry it out. I know, Mom, sometimes you're pulling out your hair. I can't do this anymore. Ask Jesus. I'm going to talk to Jesus so I don't kill you, kid. Mm. He gives us the power that we need to carry out the plan that He has for us. We know that He has called us to be disciples and to make disciples as we're going. Well, guess where the power to do that comes from? It, came from the, it comes from the same Holy Spirit who lives in us that lived in these apostles that lived in Jesus Christ. The same Holy Spirit. If we are called to be faithful bondservants, where does that power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The power comes from the Holy Spirit within us. Acts 1.8, when Jesus was ascended, He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The same power that turned these mamby-pamby, awful no credential disciples into martyr witnesses. The same power is in us if we are disciples of the same Jesus. The very same Holy Spirit. And what can God do? Oh no. I don't know. I can't fathom it. It's unfathomable. And He can do that in and through me. And His goal, the Holy Spirit's goal, is to teach us of Jesus and to use us to preach His gospel and be His witnesses. And notice there in Acts 1-8 that the power is for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's all of them. You need power to witness in your home? Holy Spirit. You need power to travel the world and preach and serve? Holy Spirit. You need power to serve as you're going home, work, play, church, restaurant, mowing the grass, putting the kids to bed. Holy Spirit! We truly, listen to me Christian, we truly have all the power that we need. I don't know, I don't know, I just don't feel it. I don't care if you feel it. The Holy Spirit's power is not dependent upon your feelings. It's nice when we feel it. That's great. But the power of the Holy Spirit is there whether you feel it or not. God has given us everything we need, which is our next point, provision. God will provide what is needed for those who are working with and for Him. Now be careful here. I am not saying that God will never let His people, His workers, do without. We know that's not true from the Bible. Paul says in Philippians 4, 10-13, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now this is the Philippian church, poorest church that Paul ministered to, and they wanted to help Paul, but they couldn't because they didn't have any money to help him. 
So they couldn't help him. But now, now they had a little bit of money and they were sending it to him. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Whether it was low or abounding, plenty or hunger, abundance or need, Paul had learned the secret of contentedness in it all. He could do it through Christ who strengthened him. Now that's provision. So yeah, there's going to be times when you're hungry. There's going to be times when you're brought low. And you've got all the provision that you need in the midst of that. In the midst of it. That's provision. And guess what? Jesus said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. He said He'd be with us even to the end of the age. And listen to me, that's all the provision that we need. Literally. Sometimes it looks like material provision. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's spiritual provision. Sometimes it looks like hunger. And sometimes it looks like fullness. Because Jesus has shown His grace to us. Listen to me. Now this is this sounds backwards, but stay with me. Because Jesus has shown His grace to us, we deserve the provision we receive from Him. We didn't deserve the grace He originally gave us, but walking in that grace, we deserve the provision that we receive from Him. Not because of who we are, what we've done, but because... He, who He was, who he, what He did, who He is, and what He's doing. As a good and faithful servant, capital S, since He's good and faithful, we get what is rightfully His. We are provided with all that we need. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. All things that we need, great and precious promises, partakers of the divine nature. Now that is provision. And it is ours in Christ. Maybe you don't feel like you've got what you need. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Christian, you've got what you need. You've got Christ. And Paul said, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But be careful. Be careful. We've been through three Ps, right? Three Ps. Plan, power, provision. How can we know that we're in Christ. How can we know that we have all these things? That's the last one. Preparation. Are you prepared with the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ? In the list of the armor of God, Ephesians 6 says this, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now the NASB which is what I learned from and memorized back in the, back all those years ago actually says it this way, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
So the application point for preparation is, do you know the true gospel? Have you heard the true gospel? And are you preaching the true gospel? Let me ask you plainly, Christian, are you prepared to share the gospel? The biblical gospel. Are you ready to proclaim the kingdom of the heavens? Not that Jesus loves you and hopes you pick Him for your team, false gospel, but rather the biblical gospel that says we're all sinners and we all deserve the wrath of God and we'll receive that wrath unless we repent and trust Jesus to save us by His grace. The biblical gospel that says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because there are myriads of false gospels out there. There are unfortunately myriads of false gospels in here. And if I'm not careful, there's false gospels in here, in my heart. Where I make Jesus about what I want. And if Jesus is what I want, it's alright to make Jesus about what you want. But if I want Jesus to fit into my plan, into my commotion, into my desires, that's not the true gospel. And it's not an offer. It's a command. It is a command to believe the gospel. You believe me? I'll let the Bible remind us. I've already read this one, but I need to read it again. The times of ignorance got overlooked, but now He commands... All people everywhere to repent because... Why? Why repent? Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. When God raised Jesus from the dead, He assured that judgment was coming if you didn't trust in that resurrected Christ. You're like, well, that's, that's not really a lot. Okay, fine. 1 John 3, 21-24. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, which we can't do unless we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Please stop asking people to pick Jesus out of a crowd and make Him their favorite because He does some pretty good things. Command them to repent and say, The King is coming. Flee from the wrath to come. You say, Well, that's not a very fun gospel. No, it's not. But it's the biblical gospel. And that gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who will believe. Your mamby-pamby Jesus wants to be on your team gospel is not the power of God unto salvation. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So flee from that wrath. We need to plead with people to flee from that wrath. Last passage. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us... The message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, please, by any means necessary, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God makes His appeal through you as His ambassador. And the plea is, be reconciled to God. That's the biblical gospel. Are you prepared to share that gospel? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never heard that gospel. Are you prepared to believe that gospel with your head and with your heart, calling out to Jesus saying, I need to be reconciled to God. And the only way that you can be reconciled to God is through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, well, he ain't going to judge me. He is going to judge you. And if you reject his son, it's going to be worse than what Sodom and Gomorrah saw. Flee from the wrath to come. The king is coming and he is bringing wrath and judgment with him. Run to His grace now so that you don't suffer the wrath later. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Jesus, You weren't playing and You're not playing. I pray that You would grant repentance to those who need repentance this morning, and that is all of us. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Help us to flee the wrath to come and run into the grace and the mercy and the provision and the power and the plan that Jesus Christ so clearly presented and had His apostles go out and preach. May we receive it and may we go out and do it, God, for Your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction as we dismiss? Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed.